Welcome back to Breaking Silence, where we have real conversations about race in America. My name is Aziza, and I am a 37-year-old female living in Southern California. I am a mixed-race child, half black and half white, and I happen to have currently more white friends in my life than black friends. And my name is Jen Schmelter. I am a 39-year-old white female living outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I am married to a Dominican man, and I work in the leadership consulting space. This week, we are bringing you another throwback episode from last year, 2020, when we started off using the YouTube platform. So what we've done is we have brought the audio over to make it convenient for you. If you haven't seen this episode and you'd like to see it, with the visuals as well, please head on over to our YouTube channel. We'll make that available to you via the website link in the show notes of this podcast and this episode. You'll get to see us um, live and in person, and I have a glass of wine in my hand for this episode, so you can join me uh, if you like. Um, we had have since transitioned over to the audio-only version um, due to feedback from our listeners, and so we hope you enjoy it here. And once again, if you have any comments, you'll hear us sometimes refer to uh, show notes or leaving comments on the YouTube platform. What we'd love for you to do is use, if you're listening to the on the Anchor platform, use the uh, message button to leave us your comments in audio form, or feel free to reach out to us and send us any questions, concerns, or ideas for new content. Absolutely. And as Aziza said, we've pulled this content over from YouTube. So in this throwback episode, we are diving into definitions of racism. And what we realize is that as people are coming to these conversations and talking, not even necessarily just across racial bounds, but even within um, the same racial group, people may be bringing different definitions of terms and concepts to the conversation. And that can a lot of times lead to confusion or just challenges in communicating about these types of topics. So in today's episode, we dive into the varying definitions of racism, what we understood it to be, some new enlightenment that we had, and we hope that you enjoy. I am super excited about this episode and this conversation because this, for me, us chatting about the definition of racism all started from me being really offended at one of my Black friends challenging me and my definition of racism. I remember it super clearly. It was via WhatsApp. We were on text. And she said to me, I, I told her, you know, a, a definition of racism. And she responded to me, well, that's not the official definition of racism. Yours sounds more like discrimination to me. And I was like, how dare you challenge my definition and tell me what the official definition is? So what do you think? Like, do you think that there's an official definition? I know we've like, we've evolved as we've done more research and read and seen some more things, but what, like, do you agree that there's an official definition? Oh gosh. Well, thinking back to the whole thing of like, well, we're not, we're not experts. Um, there probably is one. <laughs> And there's probably one that, you know, people 
or academics agree, like this is the definition, but what I do think is that people are, are, when people have conversations about it, I think that groups are coming with different definitions for the same word. Mm-hmm. And that, like from our conversation, when we were talking about it, that was kind of the, the mind blowing moment uh, for me because when we were talking and you said, well, like, what, what's your, you know, how do you define racism? And I said, well, you know, basically that I am believing that I'm better because of my skin color or that someone else is less than because of theirs, either that belief or even acting on it, that I am, you know, discriminating against others based on their skin color. And if you look up, like if we can share really quickly, we look, we started looking this stuff up. The dictionary definition says, well, there's a couple different ones. Prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against a person or people on the basis of their membership of a particular racial or ethnic group, typically one that is a minority or marginalized, is one. Another is the belief that different races possess distinct characteristics, abilities, or qualities, especially so as to distinguish them as inferior or superior to one another. And then Wikipedia says, it is the belief that groups of humans possess different behavioral traits corresponding to physical appearance and can be divided based on the superiority of one race over another. And I think most of the white people that I know, this is what they go by is their definition. Um, But what we learned through our research and our conversations and digging deeper is that there's really this whole other definition that's talking about the systemic uh, component of racism. So I don't know if you want to jump into that a little bit. Well, I will, I will say, I think I just, I want to own my defensiveness and my offense that I took from from being challenged. And I think where that came from, because I'm, I'm in this whole period now of like asking myself a question. If I, if I feel triggered or I feel offended, um, I, I want to start by like looking introspectively. And so, so, so my definition was along the lines of what you just said. I, I feel like racism is the belief that one race is superior to another. And in, in that aspect, anybody could, can be racist, right? And when my friend challenged me, she was coming from a place of it, it's only white people that can be racist because it has to come from a position of power. And because black people don't have power, black people can't be racist. And for me, even before this whole re, like resurgence or, or just renaissance of, of umph and passion around racial injustice in America that we've just experienced over the past couple months, I've always hated that. I've hated that the that there is a definition that says, because I don't have any power, I can't be a racist. And it, it, it felt to me like it was taking the responsibility away from black people, that black people couldn't be racist um, because we don't have power. So black people can think whatever hateful things that they want, they can think whatever um, about racial superiority or inferiority, but they can't be racist, they're excused because they don't have power. And so that was what triggered me. And that's where I was coming from when I was really against that definition. But like you said, with research, it seems like, like, yeah, maybe racism is more than just an event or a milestone or a behavior. 
maybe it's like you said, like a, it's, it's indicative of like systemic issues. And with that, like you have to have power to, to have it affect our system and have it be um, something like that is sustainable throughout all this time. So I started reading White Fragility, which you know, and I just finished it a couple days ago. Highly recommend. We'll put the information in the description bar. But I finished that, and what I walked away with the, from that with one, one more like clarity moment with racism, the definition of racism, is that racism can be a weapon. It can be a political weapon. And if you think of it as a political or an economic weapon, you have to have power to be able to wield that weapon. So that's kind of how... I just wanted to explain like my journey through being triggered and offended and hating that definition because of how it made me feel as a black person. Well, and let me ask this. So then, you know, given having read that book and the shift in perspective, how would you then, because I, I have not had the opportunity to read that book yet. I have it on my, I've purchased it, but it is backordered. So I am anxiously waiting for it to arrive. I could not get it on my Kindle. I was sad. Um, but then how would you define when you do see Black people saying or believing things that would be hateful? Like, what does that fall within? So if what we're saying is that the official definition of racism is one that involves systemic and political power, um, and I want to say, if I remember correctly, the definition from the book, White Fragility, she talks about how it's so institutionalized that the racism basically runs without people even necessarily needing to think about it or be conscious of it. Um, that could be or could not be part of it. So if, we, if that is the definition, then when a white person is thinking, or it really could be any race, right? When a white person, an Asian person, whatever, a Hispanic person, a black person is thinking derogatory thoughts, hateful thoughts, or acting in a way that treats another individual as inferior because of their race or skin color, what would that be called? Taking the systemic component out of it. So like here in America for white people, it might be racist and something else. And for other groups who are a minority group, it might only be this other word, but like, what would that other word be? Well, I will say that I have not fully bought in. So <laughs> I realize that my understanding is evolving and I realize that maybe <laughs> I am incorrect, but I'm not fully bought in that I am incorrect. So let me just say that. But from what I've learned and what I've heard, and even what my friend told me, um, I think what you're describing would be defined as discrimination. But I will say two months ago when, when someone told me that, I hated that. I freaking hated it because I thought, I mean, discrimination is, is powerful and it's wrong, but racism is another level, in my opinion, like in terms of, I don't know, the severity of something. And I just... Um, I just hated that a black person could be doing the same thing that a white person is doing and a white person is racist and a black person is discriminating. I don't know. Yeah. But to answer your question, I think it would be discrimination. On both sides. Well, racism on, white si on the white side and discrimination if it's a black person doing it. So I think we, we have to look at it in the context of America only because it's very unique 
what the H has been going on in America and, and what has continued to go on. Well, I think too, though, for a lot of people that may be this kind of aha moment. I mean, aside from just a separate definition, but the fact that like it may be different based on where you are in the history of that country and the culture and, and things of that nature, you know, because I think discrimination happens at all different levels. But let's bring it back, I guess, to, um, to this actual definition. So I thought it was interesting. I came across this article about a young woman who wrote to Merriam-Webster and asked them to actually update the definition because in conversations that she was having with people, um, they would point to this dictionary definition, which is the one that we just read that said it's like a belief or an act. Like it has to be something that you're doing against another person in order for it to be considered racist. And that I'm making an assumption here, but I would assume that majority of white people were saying like, well, this shows that I'm not racist, right? Like it says it right here in the dictionary. Um, so her name is Kennedy Mitchum. She wrote to Webster and they actually agreed to update the definition because it has evolved. Um, and a lot of times, you know, just in language, the way that we verbalize and the spoken language evolves at a much faster rate than written language. So it makes sense that, that it might be outdated um, from that perspective. But it was just very intriguing that, you know, other people are obviously having this conversation too, right around the same time that you and I kind of had this uh, dawn on us. Um, and if anybody knows Kennedy Mitchum and she would like to chat with us, we would love to connect with her and have like a Zoom chat and just see what her thoughts were and what her experience and what her journey was um, on, on sending that request to them. But kudos to her for being brave and reaching out and even trying to do that. So, um, so it seems like this concept is evolving, but I, but I, I do think that I have seen conversations that get stuck and maybe polarized around this because black people may be saying like, oh, well, all white people are racist and all white people are like, well, no, like I'm not a racist. Like I've never done anything mean to a black person. Like I think that all people should be equal. I go out of my way, you know, to participate in diversity and inclusion programs or I donate to charities that support underfunded, um, you know, communities or support education or whatever it may be, like whatever it is that they're doing. Upon reviewing our video footage, we realized that there was a gap in our explanation of this issue. So we went back to with our producer and Jen and I and producer Stephanie chatted about this a little bit further. We've included an excerpt here of our work session that provides the context that was missing. And then we'll get right back into the conversation. I say that I, I'm seeing these conversations get polarized because black people may be saying that all white people are racist, but that's really not what I'm trying to express. So all of that, like the under, the under, or the context behind that is that if we're saying that we're using the definition of racism from the book White Fragility, which is identifying it as the system that we all participate in, then, then by default, if you are a white person living in America, you are racist. 
right? Because you are participating in this system. And where I see conversations get polarized is where there may be people in the black community who identify with that definition more. And so if they're living by their definition, their viewpoint is that all white people are racist because we are all participating in this system. And so they're saying like, oh, well that's because you're racist. And then white people are going by this Webster dictionary version that's saying, no, it's an actor, it's a belief, and therefore I am not because of this. And like, we're feeling triggered because we think it's an affront against our, you know, our character, our morality or whatever. And it's because we're just talking about two different definitions, but <clears throat> I completely do not end up articulating all of that. It just comes out, you know, that black people are saying white people are, are all racist. And that's not what I believe. Like, I don't think that all black people are saying that. So I appreciate that you called that up. And when I went back and I listened to it, I was like, aha. There it is. I just want to be clear because I, I realized that I, you know, I read the book and I was communicating to you what I understood. And, and I, I wasn't trying to say that Robin D'Angelo, the author, was saying that that was a definition of racism. I actually don't even remember anywhere in the book where she actually like gave a definition. So I think we should call it more of an idea. Like it was the idea that if you, if you subscribe to the idea that we're all part of a systemic, um, a system in which racism thrives, then um, that's that's the issue. And it's not necessarily a definition. The point that I was trying to make is that whether it's a concept, a definition, a theory, whatever it may be, it seems as though, sorry, my dog is super loud. It seems as though this concept may be more widely known in the black community than it may be in the white community and that that is part of the contributing issue when someone's saying like, oh, that's racist and a white person saying, no, I'm not, or no, what, what I just did isn't. And it's because we're using two different perspectives of the same word and keep like the lines of communication are, are crisscrossed. Because I know you and I have talked about does her explanation of it really say that all white people even are racist? And I was thinking, like, I think it, I think it does by default. If what she's saying is that it's the system and it's, and it's what we all operate in, <clears throat> then unless we are actively anti-racist, if you're a white person in America, you're participating. So by default, you are racist, um, is how I took it. But you, I think you were saying, like, you, you did not agree. Yeah, I just want to be clear that I don't think that black people are running around saying or even thinking all white people are racist. I don't even think that's happening either. I don't, I don't think that all black people are saying this. What I'm saying is if there are black people or white people who are accepting the definition or the, the concept that Robin DiAngelo is presenting in the book, if they are saying this is this is the the experience of racism that I identify with, that the next step in the logic from that is that all American white people who are not actively anti-racist are racist. Okay. Not that all black people are saying that. Just if anybody, regardless of their race, is accepting this particular idea. 
So Robin DeAngelo did an interview with NPR. It's, it's, like, it's recent, June 18th of 2020. And the quote from this article, okay, the quote from the article, but I, I'm pulling this out of context, but this is the quote. So she says, quote, in that way, we can say that nice white people who do nothing further to challenge racism are racist. So it is saying, you can, you can be well-intentioned, you can be kind, you can be a good person, but if you're participating in it, you're racist. Mm. So that, that idea, mm -hmm. it's out there, it exists. Right, right, wrong, or indifferent, whatever you identify with. Yeah, which will be hard for some, a lot, of white people to take and understand and hear and absorb. And we kind of end up in this circle and it's all because we're defining it differently. Like no one is actually saying, well, what do you mean by racism when you say racism? Um, yeah, and even like within both communities, within the black community, there's different definitions. Within the white community, there's different definitions. Um, but I think always the first thing is racism is bad, not racist is good. And so if anybody <laughs> to challenge and say that you are racist or you're part of a racist system or process the first reaction for everybody is going to be like oh no 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 no, not me not me that's not me mm -hmm. <laughs> that's, that's a yeah that's a really big aha moment that even having these conversations we're not we're not all starting from that same place yeah. of understanding the word or being aligned on what the word means or what it could mean in different situations exactly well, and even, even me, I mean, if somebody cares to me and they're like, well, you're a racist. I'm like, I am not a racist. I am married to a minority. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not, how could I possibly have hate in my heart for a group of people based on the color of their skin when like, this is just not how I live my life. Like, it's not what I do. And so, yeah, up until three weeks ago, like if you had walked up to me and said, Hey Jen, I think that you're a racist. I would have been so hurt and sad and just I mean I would have been floored you know it would have like gutted me that we've been friends for this long and like this is what you think because the definition in my mind would be that you're telling me I'm hateful to people you know um yeah and would the reaction be like ready to fight like ready to to defend I think it depends on the person. I, so <laughs> if you said it to me, I'd probably just be really sad. Um, but I mean, it, it, I mean, social media warrior, right? If it's somebody that I don't know, I think the reaction is to defend, to explain and say, well, here's all the reasons why I'm not. And I'm thinking too about um, the author Robin DiAngelo in that book, White Fragility. She brought up a point about how we understand racist or the definition of racism to be like a good, bad binary, hmm. and maybe that's where we start. We start with opening up our, our view and our definition of racism as being good or bad. But if we define it as a system we're born into and that some groups benefit from and some groups don't, and then the, the, real, the real importance is what do we do with that privilege or what do we do with our voice? Yeah. Knowing that we're all part of a racist system, 
then that becomes like the point of the conversations. Very true. You know, I, I think it might also be good for us to dive into a little bit and actually get more specific about what it means when we say like a, it's systemic racism. What does that really mean? How does that play out um, just in, in everyday life, basically? So Google says systemic racism, also known as institutional racism. It's a form of racism that's embedded as normal practice within society or an organization. It can lead to such issues as discrimination and criminal justice, employment, housing, healthcare, political power and education, among other issues. So I feel like I relate to and I align with that definition. The fact that it's embedded in these systems that we have almost no choice in America, we have almost no choice of participating in. Like, we don't have, like, we are part of the education system. We are part of a healthcare system. Like, I don't have a choice to be a part of it. And there is racism and racist beliefs and laws and practices that are just embedded in these systems that I, I have to take a part of by being a, an American. Mm -hmm. Okay, what would be, what would be an example of you know an institutional practice that we don't really think about that promotes or that benefits white people the first thing that comes to mind is with healthcare and with like clinical trials and research um, and cures and antidotes where there's tests going on and the, the majority of the people that are part of the tests are white. And so the results are based on this group. And there might be some differences mm -hmm. that are serious or really affect other people. And those people weren't part of the tests. So we don't have that data. We don't know how it affects this group of people or this because of, I don't know, some other genetic or uh, long-standing issues like high blood pressure or something like, right? Black people, high blood, there's certain diseases that affect the black community a lot stronger in a lot stronger way. And that's not taken into consideration. And so when you come and you try to get your, your medicine or your antidote or your whatever, it hasn't been tested on people like you. Thank you. So that's the first thing that comes to mind. But, um, and see, that's one I did not know. Like I would have thought if they're testing that they're doing like a sample that's representative of the group that they would be launching that medication to. Yeah, if you look at like um, COVID, COVID-19 for example, so we know that a, a, a large portion of the essential workers are black and brown people. If you think about like, I don't know, warehouse and groceries and, um, you know, retail. retail that, that has to be open. That's essential. Right. Um, a lot of black and brown people have these jobs. And so they're being exposed at different rates. And when, do they have the ability because of the communities that are majority black or brown, like, do they have the access to healthcare? that everybody else does. So like mobile testing sites. Are mobile testing sites popping up in 
the most underprivileged and underserved communities? Are, are all communities equal, equal with the access? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The answer is no, right? What we've seen is no, and companies have to be really intentional about what communities am I serving? Am I serving the communities that truly need me and need me to step up? And am I, am I serving them in the way that they need to be served or am I doing a one-size-fits-all approach and really the one-size-fits-all is tailored to a white demographic? I think we talked about two educational systemic systemic issues with education mm-hmm. because you know, to, you live in a neighborhood, you pay taxes that goes to your school district. If you're in a more affluent neighborhood, usually more white people, you're, you have more taxes, more money that go to those schools. And if you're in a uh, underprivileged community of a lot more black and brown people so the less taxes less money to go to those schools and so it's just you have less resources you have you have, a, you have a head start if you're in one place versus another and that's just how it is as you continue to go up when you think about mentors resources in school technology seeing people that representation seeing people that look like you and so this is a system this educational system we're a part of everybody is not starting at the same place yeah that's me uneducated not an expert on these on systemic issues and institutional practices just saying what i've seen and and Mm. learned no 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 yeah absolutely well and what what i was thinking too as you were saying that is you know there's pockets of people who would say like well if you're still living in these underserved communities or these underprivileged areas um i mean how many years has it been since we stopped slavery or how many years has it been since we stopped segregation how many years has it been since blah 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 right that so if you're still living there clearly you're not doing something right or you're not trying hard enough because this is America and because we're America, anybody can achieve anything that they put their mind to. And if they try hard enough, I mean, you, you know what I'm, what I'm saying. Yeah. And I've heard that from people in my interpersonal circle too. Actually the same friend who challenged me on my definition of racism, um, had a conversation with one of my, um, one a person in my inner circle, just talking through that. And I got to, got to hear, you know, be a bystander and watch that exchange go back and forth. So I know that it's real. I know that this is not just a thing like, oh, some people might be saying, and you might see this on Twitter, on social media. No, like this is real. These are real people that consider themselves good people, not racist people that feel everybody's equal. Now it's 2020, everybody's equal, everybody's starting from the same place. So I just want to underscore how that is not like a hypothetical. That is not like three degrees removed that is that is here that is people honestly looking into my eyes <laughs> and saying this to me believing it so for folks who may not see or understand or they're coming from that viewpoint I, I, you know, one of the things that you and I had talked about was, um, and I forget where you said that you had heard this, but the Monopoly game, like that might be a really great example of explaining how, what, I mean, you kind of alluded to it with the head start thing that you just said, but I don't know, I think it just may be helpful for people to hear that. Um, what you're referring to is a, a social media post that had gone viral actually, and I just looked it up on 
Instagram, the, the person who posted is Kimberly Latrice Jones. So that's her handle at Kimberly Latrice Jones. Uh, she was also interviewed at the daily show. Um, if you follow the daily show, you can check her out there, but she, um, she, there was a clip posted from her just explaining what was going on with riots and, and why kind of what I took away from it was why black people are so angry, like angry. Oh, and at the end, this really sat with me at the end. She says a quote, she says, y'all are lucky something I'm paraphrasing. So something like y'all are lucky. We're demanding equality and not looking for revenge. Like after she explained the whole thing and I was like, Whoa, that, that is, that is huge. That's heavy. Because what she explained was in, in the concept of a monopoly game, like you said, if, if we're playing monopoly together and we play 400 rounds and for those 400 rounds, you're, Jen, you're able to play and amass wealth and property um, just like normal. And every, every play I make, it's going to somebody else. And that is, you know, the metaphor for slavery for 400 years, a black person like me would be working and what what we're building farming wealth land it's all going to somebody else and so that's 400 rounds right and then after those 400 rounds we say okay so now y'all can all play fair now let's all play for each other like each yeah. man for <laughs> we're playing but you've got all this that you've gained over the past 400 rounds and i'm starting off at the beginning and so it's not fair right what you have and the position in society and power you have from the land ownership the real estate, uh, the fun you've been having for the past 400 rounds, right? Versus mine, like it's not the same. Well, and let's not forget that there was probably around 100 rounds where you got to play, but like you couldn't buy a park place or boardwalk. Yeah, well. You're buying Baltic and. <laughs> that's even, yeah. I mean, that's like another 100 rounds in the middle there. Mm -hmm. Well, what Kimberly Latrice Jones was saying, even after those 400 rounds, there's 50 more rounds that were playing fair. And then speaking to the, what happened with Black Wall Street, which I don't know if you're familiar. Have you ever heard of that, Black Wall Street? Because mm -mm. I hadn't heard of it called that. She was actually the first person that introduced me to it. So shame right now. But fifth, so 50 years, Black people were allowed. We're, we're, playing, we're playing equal, right? But 50 years, Black people in Rosewood, Tulsa, um, had, had gained all of this wealth and built, built this. And they were bombed. And we probably need to look this up to, I don't want to misquote, I'm like really hesitant because I don't want to misquote any facts, but that white, black people had amassed, they were in these areas, concentrated areas, and they were affecting Wall Street and they had, they had amassed this wealth and they were bombed and had to start all over. And so you got your 400 rounds of Monopoly, then you got these 50 rounds where you thought you were playing fair and then you, you were able to build and then that was all taken away from you and bombed. So that's 50 years, 50 rounds of Monopoly, right? And then now we're playing fair. And then maybe some of what you're saying, like not allowed to buy the fancy neighborhoods or be in these certain places, you're redlined. You you're, have to stay in these areas. So if you think about it from the Monopoly perspective, yes, slavery is over. Yes, all of that is behind us. But is it really? Because some people have this immense head start and the rest of us, are trying to build and catch up and not to mention not not just the physical and the material goods associated with that but what about what that does for your mind 
and your self-esteem and your self-worth and how, how worthy am I? Can I do this? Can I get to this level? Can I see myself here? Can I even aspire for, for these levels that other people are? Or do I need to stay in my, my leg? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think that that speaks to the cycle of it as well, right? So we've got these 400 rounds where, you know, white people are taking everything. Then we have the 50 or so rounds where, you know, we've got segregation happening. And then that ends. Now, whether, I mean, just because the law changes, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that what's really happening has changed. And so I'm sure even longer than that. And still happening. I mean, look at what has happened in Georgia in the last six weeks or two months. So the fact that there aren't the resources, right? So going back to your point on education, there's not the resources. You're in an underserved community. You're paying taxes into your county. Your county funds your schooling. Your schooling is your education. The education of your children is your future. And so if education is not quality, right? Now those children have a disadvantage because the quality of their education is not as great. And so the opportunities afforded to them in the future may not be as good. Then on top of that, you've got, I believe there are research studies that show when you have defendants in court, right? And one is white or one is black, that the sentencing is not equal. That we have unconscious bias on how we, like if you are sentenced by a jury of your peers, it is not equitable. Mm-hmm. So then even if there's a white family and a black family that are committing the same crime, now that black family is without this member of their household for longer, right? So now there's not as much resource coming into the household um, or how that disrupts like the familial pattern of having like a solid, like we've got mom, we've got dad, we've got grandparents, we've got, you know, we have this community to help to raise these kids to be able to do more and accomplish and go further than the generation prior. But those are the types of things I think of when we're talking about like systemic racism, that it's like just built into how we function. And then I hear white people say things like, well, you know, black people are committing 50% of the crime and they're only 15% of the population. And, you know, these types of things that it's like, okay, well, First, I need to fact check that. I mean, is that really what's happening? And then if it is, what are the contributing factors to that? Because to simply say, well, you're just more likely to commit a crime because you have more melanin in your skin is completely ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, but to say you're more likely to commit a crime because of the systems you were born into and the- And what you know. What you know and the, the, the societal pushes and pulls, headwinds and tailwinds, that's not, that's not wrong. And that's, I think that's what comes to the point where you're like, okay, so what? Like now, like, what do you do? And white people, that's what we're saying. Like you, you benefit from a system that makes this true in some cases. So what can you do? What is all of our responsibility as Americans to make sure that this, this stops? Because it's not, it shouldn't be like this. Mm -hmm. 
But I think what a lot of white people in my inner circle want to say is I'm not a part of it. That's not me. That's not on me. Cause I know my heart is good. My heart is true. And with my definition of racism, I, I'm not in the wrong. I've been living my life good. So the action is not required of me. Right. And I think the conversations you and I have had have, I mean, I won't say I'm woke. <laughs> I mean, I really, I, I don't, there, there's just, I know there's so much that I don't know. Right. Um, but I will say, I feel like over the last month, I, I see more, I think, I think it is more apparent to me, especially when I am seeing white people justify or defend or not be open to understanding. Right. So, so for example, like the racist thing, and it's like, well, I'm not a racist, you know, um, I think six weeks ago, not that I would have been on that. Well, no, I mean, if that was my definition, I probably would have been a part of that. Um, if I'm being honest, like I, if you had asked me, are you racist? I would have been like, I'm not racist. But I think that what I was trying to say, the other shift that I feel is that I get the point now that just not being racist is like not enough, mm. right? It's not enough for, for me to just be nice to black people or any, any minority group, right? I have to, and, I, and, and it may not end up being like my life's cause and my life's work where I'm, you know, throwing myself and dedicating all of my time and energy to it, but I have to be a voice. I have to speak up when I see things. Um, and in the past, you know, if I had ever seen someone being hated on for their skin color or being treated poorly, I, I have intervened. You know, that's not something that I would let go. But I think being more proactive versus reactive is like the shift that's happened for me. Like I need to be more involved. And you know, even this, this blog is part of that, right? Like how it's not necessarily going out and volunteering in my community, but how are we putting ourselves out there to try and, and create a shift? But all of that was, all of that came from that conversation around the different definitions and what it really means in this country for us. I think that's key. That's a key point. Like it, it came from that conversation and, and just forcing yourself maybe to sit in some discomfort with, with maybe being not as right as you thought you were or being open to another definition. And that inspires you to look at what you can do different. And I, and I think that's like the whole, the whole point of what, what we're doing and the talks that we're having and sharing the talks that we're having, because when these conversations aren't happening, that opportunity mm -hmm. for exploration is not there. So I, and I think when you think of like what to do for me, for me, it's, it started with making sure I am more involved in politics. I have had the privilege to be aloof and not involved and for me like it's that's that's where my action needs to start 
being, I just, I relocated from, from Florida to California a year and a half ago now, and I'm still registered to vote in Florida. Like why I need to be registered in California. I need to be involved in the state in the local levels and I need to show up and vote. Like that's what I need to do. So that's what the conversations have been pushing me to do, making me realize that I've been comfortable even with, I've been comfortable with the discomfort of being in these systems and, and, and assimilating myself and normalizing things. I've been, I've been comfortable just chugging along and, and that's no longer okay because I think it's everybody's, it's everybody's responsibility to interrupt racism. And, and I think I've shared with you, like sometimes I felt ashamed that I haven't spoken up when things have made me uncomfortable or a comment has been wrong and I've just tried to, you know, continue on and not get, get not get upset, not ruin the night. But it's, it's all of our job to interrupt racism, whether it's happening right in front of our eyes or whether it's happening in our, in our state policies and laws that are coming to pass. But you participate and you benefit from racist systems, mm-hmm. not doing anything about it. I think that would be, for me, that would be more accurate. I think it would be easier for that person to swallow too, which I don't know then. I don't, I'm like, okay, well, is that right or wrong? Are they a racist? Well, some people, some people are. Some people are. Some people are. I mean, there are people who legitimately believe that white people are superior. They are out there. But I, I think, you know, I don't want to speak for you personally. I don't know if my goal is to really reach those people. I think, I think those people, you know, they, they, they believe what they believe for whatever reasons they believe it. And I don't know that a vlog is going to help give them a paradigm shift. That's something I think if they were to change their belief system would require a lot of internal reflection or personal experiences. And I do believe that those people are a minority group. I, you know, I think it's a, I like to believe, I don't know, maybe I'm very ignorant, but the people who are actively campaigning that type of propaganda is a small group of people. And what I think the majority of people are, are good-hearted individuals who believe that they're doing the right thing every single day, do their best to treat people differently from them fairly and because they are not being negatively impacted by the way in which we live our lives they do not have that pain to go out and do something about it so they're just existing in what's happening and I think just some light bulb moments might really help to inspire a lot of those people to think a little bit differently than how they have in the past yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, there is, I have to have, I have to remind myself, right. That there's, there's certain people that I am going to reach and certain people that I'm not going to reach. And, and that's that. I think I, I agree with what you say that the people that there's a, it's a small group of people that are, are racist or Maybe that, that group that we can't reach is a small group of people. I agree that's a small group of people. I do want to say I, I think it's bigger than we think it is, though. Yeah, that's a really great point. Um, so then where would you say that we, where would you say we need to go from here? 
Um, I, th I think what, what we'd like to encourage people to do is to research definitions of racism for yourself to see where you feel um, most aligned to, what definitions land with you. And if some definitions trigger you or offend you, as, as happened to me on April 3rd, because I sure did look it up in WhatsApp to see what day my friend had offended me. <laughs> um, if that happens, that you take a moment and stop and ask yourself, why? why? And is there, is there any other truth, is there any other way that you could see one of these other definitions as, as um, productive? like a productive definition based on what's happening in the world. If you found a definition that you want to share with others, we'd love to see it and hear it and read about it and, and get informed. Um, and if you find one that, that more closely aligns with you. Are there maybe others that we haven't even talked about that are out there that we don't have awareness of? So we'd love to hear those too. And I know we, we touched a little bit tangentially on a, on a couple different topics. So if there's anything in regards to this conversation that you would like us to dive into more deeply, also leave that in the comments below and we will add that to our list. All right, so I have a quote I'd like to share this week and um, I read it. So if I read it on social media just randomly somewhere. So if some, anyone um, can, can tag the source, I would be really grateful. Um, but the quote said, now is not the time to be fragile. And that really has, has sat with me and stuck with me um, because uh, I'm an I'm a emotional being and a lot of what's going on, what I see in the news and the media and what I hear from my friends and family is really affecting me. Um, and there's a danger of, of having that stop me, stop my growth, stop my courage, my bravery through these conversations, stop my the way I even show up at work professionally. And so I, I keep that quote close in these times to, that now is not the time to be fragile. Now is the time for us to lean in and be brave. Yeah, I would just add, um, you know, my message every, every episode, but especially as you're engaging in these conversations around definitions of racism or talking to others and sharing um, your thoughts and maybe hearing things that, are kind of an affront maybe the first time that you hear them to continue to choose kindness. So choose kindness, y'all. See you next time. <laughs>